Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Yesterworld podcast. Here with me, as usual, is Quinn, but we also have someone else today to try to switch things up a bit. So, um, welcome, Rob from Rob Plays. Hey, thanks for having me. How's it going, me. man? I was just wandering along the on. roads of podcast. I like to visualize <laughs> podcast as just this big city, and I just stumbled across this one and hopped in. The lights were on, and you're like, oh, yeah, door slightly in. ajar. Hmm, nobody's locking their doors in their podcasts anymore. Let me just let me see what's inside. What's crazy? How I mean, I'm I'm only just now getting into like podcast, but it seems like it's really exploded over the last few years. Like everyone has a podcast. Oh yeah, everyone. Celebrities are even uh, jumping on the podcast train. I don't know if you guys have seen. I'm sure you guys have seen Anchorman. Um, oh yeah. Will Ferrell does a weekly podcast as Ron Burgundy. Um, Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, in character? Yeah. It's 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 really, really bad, but it sounded like a good idea at first. Is it bad good or bad? It's just bad. bad. It's just it's just really <laughs> bad. Funny. I thought it was going to be hilarious, but uh, I, I don't know. Maybe Will Ferrell has done too many uh, Daddy's Home type movies to be able to do the, the Anchorman character well anymore, but it doesn't work. Well, it's also, it's a shtick that works for a movie, but for... I think in general, when people are listening to podcasts, they want to hear real news, real thoughts, real opinions versus a character. You know, I think that would work for a sketch or a YouTube series maybe, but for a podcast, unless you're really, really funny and have amazing material every single episode, I think that'd be kind of tough. It makes me wonder, though, are there podcasts that are so bad they're good again? Like, I know there are totally movies and even some shows like that, but I've never heard of a podcast where it's like, You've got to listen to this podcast. It's a train wreck. It's so much fun. There's got to be one out there. Maybe I could see if just like some celebrity, like not even Will Ferrell, but some stuck-up celebrity who thinks they're amazing and they do it and it's a disaster. Um, I don't know. I guess it's hard. I feel like with podcasts, it's a little different because, again, people, I don't know, it's more of a they want to connect to the person they're listening to, so maybe it doesn't work quite as much. But that's interesting. Yeah. Or if there's ever going to be like a mock you, a mock you, I don't even know what you'd call it, like a mockumentary but podcast form, that'd be weird. That's my I new mean, mission now is to find one of these. I mean, but <laughs> would you really want to devote three hours of your week? Like if Tom, <laughs> if Tommy, if Tommy Wiseau started a podcast, oh, I would, I'm down. Not, I would, I would listen I'm to down. one, but I'm not listening every week. <laughs> I don't know. Would... Who knows? Maybe maybe you listen to enough of, of Tommy Wiseau and it unlocks something in like the back of your mind and it's just like straight to success. Maybe there's got to be a secret behind that mind. I, that, I'm all that in. Guy, if, if there, you know, there's always the conspiracy that, you know, aliens live among us. And that's the only bit of evidence I've seen. That I'm like, you know, I could see it because he's so especially after watching like a bunch of documentaries with him and interviews. He's just so not he, unlike <laughs> any person he's not crazy but he's crazy it's such a weird i've never heard or seen anyone act the way he does he's, and not have it be i don't know it's so bizarre he's one of a kind like and and just all the mystery how he got his wealth how old he is and just the you know just his whole persona is just crazy and does he think you know, because he takes himself so seriously, but then he knows his movies are terrible. So it's such a, you know, that's why I loved The Disaster Artist, because I know um, 
it may not work well for non-fans of the room, but just seeing that kind of portrayed in a movie was hilarious for me. Had you read the book, though? The I hadn't, I hadn't, but I do want to. It's kind of on the. You should, because the movie uh, leaves out a lot of the, um, the worst things the re- about Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard that it. Um, and we can, we can go into actual, uh, theme park stuff in a second. But I did hear that in the movie they actually made him appear better than he was, which to me was kind of a surprise because they already portray him as kind of a horrible selfish human being for the most part well i think yeah. he was pretty involved in making the movie so he was probably uh, uh he was yeah. probably like you know what maybe leave that out james franco <laughs> i i don't want that in movie no 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 that's not how it happened that's not <laughs> how it happened so funny so anyways so quinn since you did some of the um topic looking up stuff this week i thought maybe you'd want to um open up the discussion with uh, the first one uh, you have listed, which is obviously kind of the more bigger theme park news that came out earlier this week. Yeah, well, I, if you're a Star Wars fan, I suppose this week is a, a pretty pretty monumental week for you. Um, Mark here is the bigger Star Wars fan of the two of us, I would say, but uh, Galaxy's Edge, we, we finally know when it's opening, um, but surprisingly, that's, at least in my opinion, kind of the, the lesser of the two big pieces of new is it's not all opening at once. We're getting phase one and phase two, uh, but the main, from what I understand, Rise of the Resistance is really the the main attraction, and that's not coming until uh, much later. Um, and I kind of want to know your guys' thoughts on just how that's even going to work, how people are going to feel about that. Because my thought was, especially because it's opening way earlier than anybody thought, man, I would be frustrated if I had scheduled a trip hoping hoping to miss the crowds, and now I show up and it's the worst it's probably ever been. Well, maybe, Rob, before, because I want to clarify something I'm a little confused on, so are both parks opening in two phases, or is it just Disney Hollywood Studios that's opening in two phases? I believe it's I both. It's both, yeah. 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 Do you think that was planned from the beginning, or they were just getting to a point where they're like, okay, we're not going to make the date? for the because they call the attraction i forget the description but it's like the most you know and i don't know they they describe it as just like the most incredible theme park ride experience ever in the history yeah so i'm wondering if like that's kind of what prompted it where they made such a huge claim about it being like the best ride ever that maybe that's what led to them doing it in phases or do you think that was a plan from the beginning i don't think it was a plan from the beginning like i think it's very telling Here's the thing. I would be very upset if the announcement they made was, heads up, when this opens, you're not going to get both rides. You're only going to get one, and the other one's going to be opened later than planned. But what they ended up doing was saying, we're opening both lands earlier than expected. We're just not opening the whole thing up. And uh, I think that kind of, to me, it seems pretty telling that this wasn't planned. I I have a feeling they sat down one day and they were like, hey, look— we're almost done with everything except for Rise of the Resistance. Why don't we just open up early with everything else, give a, you know operations time to figure out how to manage what's going to inevitably be a crowd nightmare, and right. then then we can open up the other one when it's finished. And, you know, it's sort of like almost like capitalizing on what seems like a, a good luck for them, which is that they got everything else right. finished in time. Right. So, you know, that that's kind of what I think it is. I think they just went why not why keep everything else closed just for this one ride that that'll come a little bit later yeah because even i found the description because i found i i just find it so bold it says 
Rise of the Resistance, the most ambitious, immersive, and advanced attraction ever imagined. And I know like people will use, you know, that kind of exaggerated speech, but that's a really bold statement to make about an attraction, especially knowing and I could be wrong, but isn't it mostly gonna be similar to like Spider-Man and Transformers where it's like half practical stuff and then it's well, I guess more so Spider-Man where it's going through um, more practical scenes, but it, in general, it's mostly like a simulator ride, isn't it? Or do we not know too much about it? Did you guys see the like the animatronic video that was showing off like the Galaxy's Edge animatronics? I think that was for Rise of the Resistance. Well, so I saw the one of of Hondo. Hondo, I think, is for Smuggler's Run because the whole idea is he's the one sending you on your mission. Uh, I've, I know there's an article that has like a pretty detailed breakdown of what Rise of the Resistance right. is going to be like, but I avoided it. Because I've stayed it. away from that yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing is I'm trying to like walk or the tightrope of knowing some of the news, but I also don't want to have any of the experiences ruined because I almost want to have, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast that like the first time I rode Forbidden Journey, even though it had been out for like two, three years, I think. I stayed away from everything, and I'm so glad I did because aside from Temple of the Forbidden Eye, it was, like, the best theme park ride experience I'd ever had, like, not knowing other than vaguely, like, okay, you're going to go through the Forbidden or the forest, and you're going to be in the castle. So I'm trying to ride that line of not knowing too much but knowing enough. I do know that it is going to be the ride with the full scale ATATs. So it's definitely right. I think I think you are right in that it's going to be a bit like Spider-Man where it's this blend of screen work and practical, but I'm getting the vibe that it's going to be a little bit more practical than we think when we we think of like Spider-Man. Um and obviously I assume the quality and the fidelity of all of that stuff is just going to be you know, cranked up to 11. So I can see right. why they're pushing it like this. Like this is going to be, this is the ride of all rides, um, at least until the next ride of all rides comes out. Right. Uh, right. Because it, even with like Flight of Passage, I don't remember them making, I mean, granted, that's a much different attraction, but, you know, they didn't make, I don't remember them making any kind of huge kind of statement like the best virtual reality experience ever or the best um you know uh simulator experience or however they would have phrased it i'm looking at the the press release right now and it's it says disney it says in light of tremendous demand disney made the decision to open the land in phases to allow guests to sooner enjoy the one-of-a-kind experiences so it wasn't planned they said that straight out and that that has pr like stamp all over it you know like we wanted to allow guests to experience it earlier. It's like, well, sure, no. they're not. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it's even though even if it wasn't planned, which it obviously was not, I don't think it's a bad idea. I, I don't really know how no, much no. this will do to alleviate crowds. I feel like it's still going to be just as bad as if they had opened both at once or very close. Uh, either way, I mean, do you guys think it really is going to make a, a difference, especially at Disneyland? I think it will, but not like not in the sense that people are going to go when it's half open and so less people are going to go later. I think it, it will in the sense that it's going to give them a month or two uh, to just kind of learn what they need to improve on to make sure crowds are flowing a little bit better. Better, Maybe we need to you know open up this pathway or close off this pathway. So I think by the time it should have originally opened, maybe they'll make optimization so it's a little bit 
less crazy. But I think in terms of just interest in the land and people going, that's going to be I think that's going to be insane for the next you know couple of years. It's it's just inevitable at that point. I mean, won't the parks just yeah. hit capacity like every day I, in Disneyland? <laughs> I mean, they'll have to like instantly. You'd think they'll just hit capacity and close. I mean, well, this I don't whole think... this whole uh, reservation system's kind of really interested me, and and I, I want to see how they play that out because that might be a way to get around it, where they'll say, well, the park's not at capacity because we're heavily limiting the land capacity, or maybe not. Maybe too many people are going to go and hope that they can stand by into the park or into the land, and then, you know, that ends up being a crowded park regardless. But that's what I kind of think that 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 month or two before it was supposed to open is going to be really important for them, is just kind of figure out how that should all work. And I think it'll be a nightmare, because we were talking about this as well, that I think at Disney World, It'll help, you know, if you want to go to Magic Kingdom or Epcot or Animal Kingdom, it'll alleviate those crowds because anyone who's going on vacation, they're going to want to experience the brand new thing. But for Disneyland, um, I think it's going to be an absolute chaotic nightmare because I remember doing one of the 24-hour events years back. And even though we went at 3 in the morning, I think 2 or 3 in the morning, it probably took an hour to get to the parking garage from the line of just people trying to get into the parking garage. And then it probably took like half an hour to get up to the gates and then it was at capacity. So it was just, I think it'll be like that where, because they have so few ways to get into the park and, you know, cause it's, it's Anaheim, it's right in the middle. And I mean, anyone who's been to Disneyland knows how boxed in it is in terms of traffic and everything. Uh, I don't know how they're going to deal with all that when it comes time to open. I mean, I kind of yeah. think it's going to spread. You can go ahead if you want. Uh, no, no, go ahead, Rob. I, I just think it's going to, I mean, I kind of disagree where I think all the parks are going to be affected. Like, I think it's going, I think Epcot, I think Magic Kingdom, I think Animal Kingdom are going to be more busy than usual because so many people are mm. going to plan trips to, you know, they're, they're like, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, why don't we wait until this opens? Because some of these some families can only go once, you know. Oh, that's true. And then they're not just going to go to Hollywood Studios. They're going to hit all the parks up. And I, I think every park is going to be absolutely crazy for at least a few months after opening. And then Hollywood Studios will ob- obviously remain that way for a while. But, I mean, I think, like, all six And there's parks. been no pre- – that's the thing. There's been no precedent because you look at, you know, Cars Land or even Pandora. I mean, that's just a fraction of – you know, the, the fandom and the popular, you know, it's just, there's, I don't think there's been any precedent really to compare like a new land to like Toy Story land or anything like that, because this is, it's almost like its own little mini theme park from what I've read and heard, um, in terms of just the scale of the rides and the restaurants and the, the experiences in there. So it's hard to like, you know, predict because it's just, I don't think there has really any, been anything like it that I recall in a while. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with Quinn. I think, I, I know it's anecdotal, but I know people who have, they could not care less about the Disney parks or theme parks in general who are like, I want to go check out Star Wars Land. I think this is going to drum up interest that they've never seen before. And I think almost as a silver lining, I, and maybe it's really, really early game to start thinking this way, but I almost wonder if, there never will be again. Like, what other property mm. exists out there that is going to be as monumental as Star Wars is to a theme park? Like, do we even have yeah. that 
that story or lore or like sure. what is out there that could top Star Wars? Maybe like maybe Lord of the Rings, but probably not really because it's yeah, it's not an no. active franchise I, anymore. As much as I love Lord of the Rings, I even admit that that's it would be really that's a, a more diff. It's not as widely accessible. You know, the movies were huge and people love them, but they don't have like the Star Wars fan base that you know. I mean, Harry Potter drive is really them to a the park. closest thing. And, I mean, you yeah, hear about right. the nightmare of Harry Potter opening day. That was 10 years ago, and it was also at a Universal theme park. And in the last 10 years, I mean, theme park attendance has just went up and up. And Star Wars is kind of undeniably bigger than Harry Potter, even yeah. though Harry Potter probably is the closest contender. I would say Harry Potter is bigger than Lord of the Rings, at least with, oh, yeah. like, the theme park crowd. Um and I mean, I just when demographic too, like not too many kids are reading the Lord of the Rings books compared to the you know because they're they're kind of difficult reads as a kid I think um, versus Harry Potter where it's much more accessible to all demographics. Yeah, I mean, I think if Universal had really like, I mean, we guess we I haven't been following their ideas for this third park all that much, but I think if if the Universal had went all out with like a Nintendo based land, like a Zelda, Mario, all these sort of things. I think that could have been pretty huge too, but I guess Star Wars is just kind of on its own plane of existence in terms of popularity. Like who do you ever run into that doesn't know what Star Wars is? Yeah. It's such a global phenomenon. I mean, I do think Nintendo land will be big when it opens, but even that, which is we're now at the point where it's multi generational. That's the key, right? Star yeah, Wars, exactly right. from the seventies. It's we you got people of all ages who love it. Harry Potter, I think, was a phenomenon as well, and I think people of all ages loved it. But it it didn't have the age behind it the right. way Star Wars does. Nintendo will have a little bit of that, I think, but also because it's a video games, I think it'll be a little less accessible. Uh, yeah. So I think at least in Disney's court, they must be looking at Star Wars Land as like this is it. This is the zenith <laughs> yeah. of when it of what is going to be the madness of new openings. I think everything after this is going to be like a cakewalk. I bet they're. I don't know if "scared's" the right word, but just because of how unprecedented it is, and because of the crowd control and the chaos, I wonder if you know they're getting a little a little nervous. I mean, they're excited obviously because it's going to make a oh, bajillion so dollars. Money, yeah. <laughs> but like, but just having to. I mean, you know, it's going to be just. A nightmare at Hollywood Studios and you know Hollywood and Disneyland, um, and one thing I don't know if you know this, Rob, um, but do you know why uh, Disneyland is opening earlier than Disney World? Was it is there a reason behind it? You know that's a that that's you're aware a good of? question. Because I don't I don't know if there's a reason, and they've certainly they haven't commented on it. You'd think it'd be the other way around because they have so much. There's so many more lax rules because of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. You'd think they'd move faster in Florida. So I'm not really sure what it ended up being. But I, I just I remember it, it. it's not something that's recent. It's It's been a while now that, you know, people taking photos behind the scenes have pointed out that, you right. know, California's progress has always been a little bit ahead of Florida. So I, I'm not sure what slowed them down in that regard. I imagine they would have wanted it to be opening at the same time if they had the choice, uh, especially because... You know, and I think this lends to why they made this decision to begin with. I, I love that in their PR. It's like, we've heard your demand. You want to get there earlier. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you want to help better promote Episode Nine and the, the Mandalorian and all these Star Wars projects, which is totally fine. 
Uh, Anytime we hear you hear, we've heard your cries. Yeah. We've heard your. It's like no, they don't. They don't. We hear we Factor hear your wallets little. just ready to burst, yeah. and we want to jump on that. We as hear soon that as Velcro ripping. Uh, so I I really think it, it's probably there'll be a story in like ten years or something, where it's like yeah. some contractor dispute fell through or something and slowed it down. Because I thought it would have been the opposite because of how like with Disneyland, how they had to kind of transform that whole. Uh, the Big Thunder Mountain Ranch Mm -hmm. and do the Rivers of America rerouting versus Disney World that had that whole area was just, you know, the back lot tour portion for the most part. So I thought for sure it would have been the opposite and that Disneyland was going to require way more work to try to fit everything in. Um, And that's another thing I wonder is, you know, and I'm sure people have already calculated it is like dimension wise, are they exactly the same as one smaller, you know, that's what I'm going to be the most curious to see, um, unlike, you know, Hogsmeade, which is pretty – not significantly smaller, but there is a noticeable size difference between uh, Hollywood and Florida. But I'm curious how – you know, what the similarities will be, what the differences are going to be. And you know there's going to be a million videos pointing out those <laughs> once it actually does open, oh, sure. all the differences. and. Here's my one theory, and I'm going to throw this out there because if it ends up being true, then years later I'll look like a genius. But it's a total shot in the dark here. Uh, (laughs) But it it popped in my head when you mentioned that they, you know, they were transforming a previous land in Disneyland, whereas in, like you said, at Hollywood Studios, it's just the back lot, which for the most part was a tram experience. So I'm wondering if it has to do with the infrastructure, if they were, if it was a matter of, well, okay, this is going to be a land now. This was the back lot tour, but now that it's a land, so we got to get bathrooms in here. We've got to get kitchens in mm. here. We need to run all this, you know, electrical work and piping True. that wasn't there before, whereas like Disneyland, and granted, I'm not a Disneyland regular, so I don't know what it was like beforehand, but if, if most of that infrastructure was there beforehand, then maybe it was less prep work before they got started and so they got the jump on on florida i don't know could be true well, well totally certainly nearby because you have you know nestled kind of on one hand you have fantasy land then you have thunder mountain on the other then you're kind of across from critter country so that i could see from like a maybe electrical standpoint or piping or whatever maybe it was easier to route things or maybe they planned it to have the restrooms closer on one side versus the back lot you're right because most of that aside from um you know the catastrophe canyon most of it was just facade houses and the boneyard and you know that kind of thing that's interesting so you're either a genius or um or we forget this episode ever happened if it turns out to be something else we we re upload it without that segment. But I could see that being the case. But I, I've just been curious because I thought for sure and of course now I like of course now that I live in Orlando, it's like the one time they're not getting it first. <laughs> you know, it's like darn darn it. But um yeah, I've always thought with that was an interesting move, whether it was planned or not. Um but I also wonder if any of it has to do with uh, kind of what you're saying earlier almost to see what happens so they can prepare for Florida's opening. I'd think it'd be the opposite, but if they want to maybe see certain aspects of how Disneyland works with the crowds or whatever, and then they can apply that to Orlando because maybe they're expecting Orlando to be the bigger version, you know? So maybe they want to perfect that as much as possible. Any complaints about the ride or complaints about the food or complaints about whatever, maybe they want to really perfect it for 
Orlando because that is the more of the once in a lifetime park, you know, versus you know annual pass holder, you know, paradise or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But you'd think like like complaints about food and ride, and I mean that's kind of what a soft opening is for. Not you know, let's bring hundreds of thousands of guests through for that. I just don't think they can prepare for what's going to happen no matter what they do. Like, it's like, even in day-to-day life, like, when you're trying to prepare for something, you're always worried about what could go wrong, even if there's only a single-digit number of factors. For Disneyland, I mean, and Disney World, there are hundreds of thousands of different things that they're going to have to deal with that they've never had to deal with before. I mean, you, it, it's, it really is telling when you've seen Disneyland preparing for this for the last few years, you know, widening walkways right. and things like that, that just... I mean, I think they really are, like, like you said, like, obviously they're not, they're not scared, but I, I think day one is going to have, like, there are going to be stories that people are talking about for years of how unprepared they were for this or that. <laughs> I feel bad for the cast members. I mean, can you imagine just, just the sheer amount of chaos? I mean, I bet they're only going to have the best of the best who've been there, who have experienced. The elite. Much, it's almost like, like, it's almost like a, um. I don't, I don't want to use the term war to like it's their uh, tier to one minim- team. to minimize just... that, but like you know, to yeah. people that have really been through the most crazy situations of theme parks, you know, stuff, or you know, recruit them from Shanghai with all the craziness that went on over there. I don't know. I mean, you're yeah, right. Like... We might be getting our generation of like the Disneyland opening day, you know, lore of just like, oh, it was a, you know, it'll be the thing they talk about decades down the line, yeah. the, having been there for it. Or maybe, you know, I mean, I've always loved this about Disney World history is that that's kind of what they were expecting with the Magic Kingdom. And it ended up being the exact opposite. Everyone was so afraid that it was actually really tame and and you know i don't think this is going to be tame by any stretch of the imagination but who knows maybe they will prepare to the extent that you know it's it's crowded but not like not yeah. a stressful mess it is just as as crowded as you know they were uh thinking it would be and i think you know to the point of them being afraid i think at this point the only fear they'd have is that if they don't if they're not efficient enough it minimizes how much they're going to profit off of this I mean, it's like it's more like, oh, are we going to make, you know, a billion dollars or two billion dollars? Like, let's make sure we do it right. So we get the two billion dollars. That's so it's like a win win for them, really, by any regard. It's just, yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to see. I I think that's what kind of makes it fun. And I, I wish if I was down there as a local, even though it is going to be just absolutely packed, I'd probably be there a lot because I think that first month or two is when you're going to see the land transform the most because that's when they're mm-hmm. going to see yep. the day-to-day like, oh, yesterday this was a real problem, so tomorrow we need to change this. And right. then it'll settle right. into what it is. Yeah, with attraction. I mean, with every, you know, any time the land opens, attraction procedures can change. And so that would be, you know, as a local, I guess I'm, I'm kind of terrified to try to even, like, um, experience the the craziness of like the first few days or weeks or whatever but you're right because that's when you do see things that you know like things that they have an attraction maybe it's an introduction or something and then they find oh it 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 holds back too much of the crowd so then they get rid of things that they thought on paper would work really well um you know like spiels and stuff that are written and then they get changed or shortened or whatever um so yeah i I haven't i hadn't thought of that but that is true because it's it's just crazy to think. I always think of it this way when, like, when something's first announced, 
and it feels like so far away because I was a huge Star Wars fan. I remember when it was announced, and I thought, oh, that's, it's never going to happen. But the idea that it's getting so close to becoming a place I can go and visit kind of blows my mind oh, yeah. in a weird way. <laughs> I still, I still like very, very sharply remember the morning I even heard that Disney bought Lucasfilm and trying to think of like all the <laughs> yeah. implications that came with it and new movies and everything to be where we are now. It, it, it seems so long ago yet. It, it also feels like yesterday. It's so I'm really excited for it. I can't wait. When the weird thing too, and um, I was thinking of this when, cause me and Quinn have talked about how, how uh, insanely uh, attention to detail oriented jk rowling is and how you know she had to inspect every little inch of diagon alley or hogsmeade or whatever um to make sure it lived up to her vision and to the books and everything but with this they don't have well they don't like george lucas could come in and say oh i don't like that i don't like that and they'd be like all right (laughs) that that's because you know he doesn't have any creative control over it so it's a different in that way too where disney I guess maybe they're more free to change some of the mm, some things maybe he wouldn't have wanted. So I think it'd be a totally different experience and an um, uh, end result had it had like the universal approach of having George come in and commenting on this and that. And, you know, so I'd be curious to see. I mean, we won't. But like it's curious to think about how much different the version would have been if George Lucas was involved from like the creative point of view versus disney having their own free reigns on whatever they wanted well there's a lot of details they don't really have to pay attention to because they're building their own planet and their own land and you know what i mean like it's a completely new true so they don't really have to even take that into consideration i mean i I think we talked about this on last week's episode but we were we were discussing how a lot of rides you notice lately are clearly being made with the intention of later down the line they can switch it out if they need to and i really feel i mean obviously i haven't been following these rides all that well but i i wouldn't be surprised if both of these rides are made so they can be changed later down the line like this one is rise of the resistance or you know and it's clearly going to be based around this trilogy of movies but in 10 years when 28 more star wars films have come out and the resistance haven't been in play for you know over a decade they're probably going to want to change that into whatever is new. And if they build it around like Tatooine or, or something like that, they can't, they can't really do that. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I think, I think that's the one where you might be more likely to see it happen. I feel like the millennium Falcon is going to have this sort of universal appeal that lasts forever. But then on the flip side though, that one's kind of clever too, in that they could still say, well, yes, it's still the millennium Falcon, same port, but come check out in five years the new mission with all the new scenes and different interactive elements and that's to me that's the ideal way to kind of build up a ride that's so it's perfect for swapping things out because it it keeps it fresh it's not just it it's the difference between i guess slapping a whole new overlay on it versus just keeping it up to date and and relevant in people's minds right which is a pro and a con because you, you know, on the plus side, you get to have an updated attraction every few years or 10 years or whatever. But on the other hand, you know, you also don't want these to be built or designed with that necessarily too much in mind because then, you know, it'll lose, I think, some of the, the quality 
of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if if it's too much of like, oh, we can swap it out later, um, then. But I don't know. Then again, like with Star Tours, when I did the episode on that, I didn't realize just that they did design it from the very beginning with the intention of like, you know, in a few years, like three or four years, they were going to add another destination and another destination. And that's why they had all the posters with all the, there's like five other locations. So that was built or designed with that intention and it ended up being a classic. I mean, I know it's different, but um, even back then in the eighties, they had that in mind. Well, I, I think, think the first six, Oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say, I think that's the good middle ground, right? That's, that's the it's still within the same theme of Star Wars. It's just a way to keep it fresh as opposed to I think people would be upset if it was so bare bones so that they go they can go, well, you know, this is Star Wars land, but in twenty years we can make it, you know, Avatar land because maybe that eclipses right. Star Wars. That's when I think it becomes too cheap of a feeling. Yeah, and that's again not because it always kind of ends up going that direction. But with Marvel, I think that's kind of the fear with, you know, transforming Tower of Terror or with the new coaster, you know, how much they're banking. Because, again, Star Wars is timeless. Marvel will see... I mean, it's timeless in a way, but I, it doesn't, I don't think, initially have as much of that longevity of the 10-year, 20-year, 30 years down the line. Because who knows what movies they're going to be making of Marvel at that point. So I think that's some of the fear with the Marvel stuff is how much they're making it to where they could change it or could swap it out if, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, remain as popular 20 years down the road. Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance. Mm. Um, but the first three yeah, movies it's... are timeless. You know, that's what I was going to say. Like, if they start basing attractions around the new... I, I do think the new Star Wars movies are going to fall into that trap. Not the movies themselves, but basing theme park attractions around the new movies the same trap as marvel where you're seeing these characters or this franchise evolve and it's going to be weird the same way that if mission breakout is still open 20 years from now and chris pratt is now you know in his 50s and overweight and he's still star lord but then you go and you go on mission breakout and it's prime chris pratt it's going to feel a little bit odd because it's just for the same reason any well, ride just, would feel dated. I think the same thing would happen to Star Wars if it's not based around the And I assumed, and I could be wrong, but I assumed in both of the attractions for Star Wars that they're not going to have, and I could be wrong, they're not going to have like Finn and, um, you know, uh, Ray and all the other characters, like the actual characters from the movies. I assumed they were going to be the gen- generic um but is the resistance know, timeless like, the same way the rebels were mm, yeah. and the you know as the first order i mean the first order is made to just look like the the stormtroopers but are they timeless the same way the stormtroopers are you know what i, I mean they're so i think the average and i could be wrong but i feel like the average person probably doesn't even know the difference between a stormtrooper and a resist and the the new i always forget what they're called now uh the resistance troopers or are they just not called the first order are they just the re- right? first order yeah. troopers yeah, so it's like I feel like the average Joe doesn't even notice a difference. Um, I mean, I do, and you do, obviously. So if they change them down the road, I don't think people would notice too much. But I think in the, some of the concept art, you do see a lot of the classic stormtroopers in the land. So, uh, or maybe not. Is the land you know set they... in like a specific? I mean, it's Rise of the Resistance, so it has. Is it all set in a specific time, or is it like this rides here and this rides here and? I think it is. I just don't remember. I don't remember what. Part of me wants to say it was bef- 
for this sequel trilogy because the Millennium Falcon is no longer it's it's got to either be before or after and the fact that it's a rise of the resistance makes me yeah. think it's before because you know the millennium falcon canonically is now it's still not in uh you know han solo's hands or the or Ray's right. hands or anything it's it's you know kind of docked with this guy Hondo, um, which himself he's from rebels i think he's from rebels mm. uh or, or clone wars or both he's, he's from one of the animated series so you know and those take place or at least rebels takes place well, no, that takes place before the original trilogy. So I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. Well, yeah, and I'm curious how much in terms of canon, you know, it's going to be. Because, you know, obviously in The Force Awakens, the Millennium Falcon is in the garbage dump or in the whatever that area is. So obviously, if you want to go by canon, either it the ship wound up where it is in the land or it was in this spot and then it wound up um, on Jakku in that, you know, um, junkyard. Yeah. But I don't know how much they're going to be sticking with canon because at the end of the day, I'm sure not, you know, the average tourist doesn't care. But they also know that Star Wars purists will care. So I, I could see them having, like, some sort of story laid out, like, before the events in The Force Awakens, the Captain so-and-so had the Millennium Falcon. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. They're, you know. uh, uh, they're putting out a mini comic book series this summer, actually, mm. um, called, I believe, Galaxy's Edge. And it's going to be all about Batu and oh, Black Spire Outpost. And they've already um, referenced the planet and I think the outpost in one of the Expanded Universe books. Uh, I haven't read it, so I don't really know what they say about it there. But it seems like they are building it out to not just be like, all right, here's our little Star Wars land corner of the universe, but it is going to be some tied into like the lore of of the worlds going on. You know what? Mm. I wouldn't put it past them if there's a mention of it in Episode Nine at the very least. Um, something to tie I it in. That. I mean, it is the that's the synergy machine at work, right? Yeah, and one thing I thought of um, Quinn, and you could ask him. Uh, I think it was either the last podcast or the before that where you asked me about what I thought about the Star War- Star Tours location, um, and you can interrupt me and, and uh, say how you phrased it to me, but you were asking me about what I thought about the whether I think Star Tours will move into Galaxy's Edge, or what was it you were asking me? Well, I actually, and I was going to say you could ask Rob that, because I'm curious to see what he thinks. Well, yeah, I still want to hear what Rob thinks, but was, I was actually going to send it to you. Maybe I, I forgot, but I was reading an article this morning where Disney had put out a statement saying that for now, all of those, you know, like the, what what is the Star Wars shop where you can like build the lightsaber called? Um, Star Traders? Star Traders. They said Star Traders and Star Tours and uh, that show that they currently have, all those are going right. to stay the same for now. Um, you know, obviously that doesn't say anything about five, which is kind of the conclusion I think we came to. Um, doesn't say anything for five, ten years in the future. But yeah, we talked about that last week, Rob, just especially because really all that's separating where Galaxy's Edge will be and Star Tours is Muppets. And yeah. it's just it's a little odd that, you know, you're gonna leave Galaxy's Edge, here's the Muppets, and then here's Star Tours just a little bit further down. Because my cause my thought quick on that was that even though the Muppets are pretty beloved, it is an older attraction. So I feel like if Disney's weighing the pros and cons of hmm a Muppet three D film, a restaurant that's now in seasonal operation in a generic Italian restaurant or getting rid of it and just tying that into one massive Star Wars 
land. That was my theory, that if it was going to happen, it would stay the same and Muppets would unfortunately just be, and again, I'm just um, hypothetical, um, but that was my thought. Like, if they were going to do it, they would probably remove Muppets and connect it that way. That's. I was about to just throw that out there. I think, I, I think they're going to look at the next couple of years and how Galaxy's Edge performs and how much revenue it brings in is going to be the factor between all right, let's retheme Star Tours into some other property, and then just that'll be that part of the park. Or mm-hmm. now we're going to re-retheme this whole, like, uh, California section and Muppet area, and that's going to be part of Galaxy's Edge, and now it's we're just going to expand. Like, is that going to be Phase 2, or I guess in this right. now Phase 3 and beyond of Galaxy's Edge is we're going to expand it, and maybe, you know, it, it just... I was very very confused when they started remodeling uh the new york street into what it is now which is like this sort of california based street with the baseline and everything because i was like there's no it's a weird theme it's it seems outside of the norm for disney at least under the Iger era everything he does is ip based so for this just Mm -hmm. sort of generic california theme it felt like a temporary holdover and maybe that is what it is maybe they wanted to put in you know, the something cheap that wouldn't feel like too much of a loss if they decide in five years to tear it down again and then make, you know, and, you know, West End of Batu or something. Right. That's what I think is most likely. I, I well, I don't think I actually don't think it'll they'll extend Galaxy's Edge out that way. And I think, Mark, you were the one that you said you felt that there'd be a riot if they closed down Muppet Vision 3D. <laughs> yeah, I, because I don't it's, think it's really is only, you know, the shows are gone and that's really the last attachment to uh Jim Henson in terms of his uh, vision being in like the theme parks. Well, I'm sure the yeah uh, the the really diehard Muppet fans wouldn't but be money happy. Talks, but I so, I don't think know. it's enough of one where if like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was there and right next to Pirates of the oh, Caribbean no, no, was yeah. uh, it's a small world like it's not enough where I I don't think no, they I can agree. just tear it down and I don't think they'll extend Galaxy's Edge. I just think that part of the area will get removed and they will just put some star wars themed things in there like they yeah. could build uh like uh, you know it doesn't have to be part of that universe they can just build things from the original trilogy and just something so it's not like oh here's this little section of star wars stuff I, this in and the i could see them just extending star trade or I, I think it's called something different in disney world i could be wrong um i know Tattooing in disneyland Traders, it's called i think it is yeah yep. so i could see them just extending that into something um but then that's the other question is like in disneyland that's a whole other issue because Star Tours is on the oh, whole yeah. <laughs> other side of the park. Yeah. So I know that a long time ago there were rumors, oh, they're gonna they're gonna move everything over, which in theory they could. You know, it's not impossible. They had to move all the simulators in through the roof in the first place from um, Adventure Through Inner Space. So do you think do you think they could potentially do that, or do you think they would just leave it? in Tomorrowland. I, I would think they'd leave weird. it alone in Disneyland. I don't yeah. I, I don't know. It's not as weird to me when it's on the other end of the park and it's not meant to but it's it's just it's it's so odd like it's like if there was Harry Potter and you walked outside the gate of Hogsmeade and then there's a few little restaurants and then just and then Hagrid's hut Potter. was just sitting there. Yeah. That would be kind of bizarre, you know. I think they're in this weird zone where the technology is not novel enough where they're like, well, we got to keep this around and like, let's move this over to the land. (laughs) Like the simulator has been around for decades now, but it's still solid enough that there's no reason to get rid of it. So, I mean, my, my best guess would be if another popular sci-fi 
property is under their belt, they'll go, we're going to retheme it to this. Maybe they get an avatar ride, you know, with a simulator over there. Um, but who knows? I think that goes into a larger question of they need to do something with these Tomorrowlands and kind of retheme yeah. them a little bit. <laughs> that's, so. that's the bigger that's the bigger problem, Yeah, especially with Disneyland. And I think one of the biggest, like in terms of the pro, I mean, obviously they're all doing very well financially, but in terms of aesthetics, I guess, um, the biggest problem is the people mover slash rocket rod track that just is literally just rotting away. And I've heard different um, theories that it's so it's so intertwined with the um, con- with the foundation of the other buildings that they can't easily just demolish it. But then the structural integrity isn't strong enough to build a ride. Like there was always rumors of a like a Incredibles pod people mover thing. So I'm curious what they're going to do with that because I think that's probably the biggest like aesthetic problem of the different lands at the moment is just that waste of a people mover track that just sits up there, you know, so collecting rust. I, I want to throw two what ifs out there, and I'm curious as to what you two think about this. The, for the first, going back towards uh, Star Tours and, and, you know, the talk of potentially removing the Muppets, what if they did make that... I kind of like the idea of it not just being more of Batu, but maybe another Star Wars land that's in a different planet. But what if what they did instead was ex- move Muppet Vision over to where the uh, Star Wars outpost, whatever that meet and greet area, I forgot what it's called, is and make that whole area with the, you know, Disney Junior stuff and Little Mermaid a new Muppet themed area. Mm. And then the other thing I was going to say is for mm. the the people mover in California, I, I I would love to see them go in the direction of see, here in New York we have what the High Line and it's they converted an old above ground subway uh track into a park. What if they mm. made like a quick service restaurant out of the people mover where you know you replace the track with a walkway you put on fencing so nobody can you know fall over but then you like scatter some tables and stuff and people could just people watch and eat from above and that, that way you keep it around really but cool. you do something with it that would be cool i guess it really comes down to again i've i've heard it can't obviously support an attraction but obviously they know it can support people because even when star tours reopened as you know star tours 2.0 or whatever they had um performers on the track like stormtroopers so obviously it's not something that they're too concerned about you know holding people up and it can't be i wouldn't think it'd be that hard to make like uh redo the foundation on that but that'd be really cool to to be able to leave it as kind of part of star uh, as part of Tomorrowland's legacy and history, and to just utilize it some way because I, I would hate to just see it be like okay, we're just gonna get rid of it. Yeah, I, I'd love to see whether it is a restaurant because that'd be a really cool idea. They could charge a little more, and you'd be able to just kind of like you said, people watch from above. Um, that'd be a really cool idea, actually. Uh, well, that was a, I'll cut that out. Um, Day, daydreaming a little bit. I wasn't, yeah, but anyways, as far as Star Tours goes, I think Mark mentioned this last week, and this is the reason I really, I don't think either Star Tours is going to go anywhere. I don't think they're going right. to take it away. I don't think they're going to move it. I think they're both just going to stay exactly where they are. And it's because, I mean, as far as updating it goes, it's probably one of the easiest rides for Disney to update and get new oh, yeah. people in the park. And it's still incredibly popular no matter when you go. I mean, I just, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I I think 
I think in Tomorrowland it's just going to stay put and they're not going to worry about it. I, I think Hollywood Studios, I think within the next five years, will know. I think Muppet Vision, you know, despite... The, the thing is, like, even if it was... And I, I think I understand uh, people's perspective if it you know, was his last work. I don't know a lot about the Muppets. But at some point it's it, going it to was, have to. It was literally... I, I could be... I think I'm right. Rob can correct me. I'm actually um, doing like a like a remnants of unfinished attractions. So I'm talking about like the restaurants that were built and um, never utilized. But I think it's Jim Henson's last like directorial project. Yep. I mean, um, Frank Oz, I think, finished some aspects of it. But in terms of his directing, I think that was literally his last directorial film. So I think that's probably where I'm coming from and thinking that people would just be really upset. Um <laughs> more so in that regard than the actual attraction it's just like in my mind it's going to have to either go or get a refurbishment at some point it's not just going to be there you know what i mean it's not just going to be able to stay there forever just based on that so it's like i mean but isn't that what you were suggesting rob is that they could if i get what you were saying is to for like the little mermaid area like move the muppets over there and make it its little own muppet complex is that what you were saying in your yeah i mean i think that'd be a fun way to approach it i think a realistic way because i agree with quinn i i do think there's going to reach a point where it's like yes this is you know it's poignant because it was his last work but we're a theme park here we're not yeah it's the bottom line Um, it's a business but i think one of the benefits of it being just a film is that at the very least they can say you know what Here's the Blu-ray release. You can now purchase and own forever his right. last work. That's what I was going to say. And now we're going to tear say this they'd have to officially, re- <laughs> if they were going to do that, because again, it comes down to business. The bottom line, you know, like it, Quinn and I've said, like you know, they they care about feedback, but at the end of the day, it's about you know the business and about what's going to bring people in. And if it means a few people are upset or a hundred people are upset, it's not their priority, but. I think if they did, that would be a really cool thing for them to release it on Blu-ray or or something, you know, like that. Or even have um, one of the theaters show it, like have the Walt Disney Theater show it or something like that. They could do to, um, you know, kind of <laughs> alleviate some of the pain if they ever did. But I, I do think it is a little inevitable with it being the only thing in between Star Tours and Galaxy's Edge. I just don't see it as it currently stands lasting another five, ten years, despite all the, you know, the history attached to it. And um, had it been fully realized, yes. But since, you know, like I said, one's a, a restaurant that is in the seasonal operation and then the others, you know, um, the Mama Melrose's Italian restaurant, it really it's only the 3D attraction that would be the big thing in the way. It just seems like really prime real estate that I think Disney's going to want to yeah. use really soon. And it's like, I, I do wonder what the what the Muppet uh, wait times will be like around Galaxy's Edge opening. Like all the people that try to mm, go over to Galaxy's yeah. Edge and then they get turned away because it's at capacity and they're like, well, I guess we'll go on the Muppets. And then the Muppets has like a 300-minute wait. Because yeah. um, Muppets rare. I don't think I've ever really had to wait. Like I have to wait for the next screening, but I don't think I've ever had to wait for an additional like people to go in the theater and not get in. You know, I did once and it was the mistake I made of visiting <laughs> Disney on Christmas week. Oof. Dark times. Is it you? Was it us who was talking about that a while back? How I think it was you. Might have been Kevin. How initially that was kind of how it worked, where you would pick the day that people didn't think were going to be crowded, but now that day has become the crowded day. 
like I think it was Valentine. It was some holiday that it used to never be crowded, and then so many people got the idea of oh everyone's gonna think it's crowded, so I'm gonna go there, and that now it is that crowded. Was that you? Or was I'm that, not sure, but been... I mean I definitely get that vibe with Christmas. I mean I was there because I mean I had family down there at the time, and and so we were you know we were just there, but it was. If there was ever a memo that people didn't go on Christmas, that is, those days are long behind. <laughs> it is, it is crazy. Because that's what I thought. So people will be at home when, you know, they want to do family time and open presents, and then I feel like it used to be that way. But um, yeah, now I, I can't imagine going to the parks during that week. Maybe they could it, just do a uh, Muppets meet Star Wars overlay and just solve <gasps> all the yes. solve all their problems. I love Where did that, that idea. rumor go? Because I think it was Dan. Uh, I don't want to misquote him, but I feel like someone was telling me that they were gonna do like uh, great moments of history, but Star Wars themed in that area. Am I the only one who heard that? I thought that was something that was gonna happen. I love that. I've never heard that, but I love that idea, and it kind of goes back to I know way back when. The Muppets were going to have a bigger presence in MGM Studios. One of the things they wanted to do was the great movie ride, but Muppet yeah. version. So the Muppet just movie dial it in on yeah. Star Wars. I love that, especially because you'd have like Miss Piggy as Leia and you'd have Kermit as Luke. It would just, oh, that yeah. was so great. And I thought maybe it wasn't you. I, I think it was Dan, but someone was telling me that that was part of the plan was to, because it is such a huge hit over at Magic Kingdom. And it's a great, it's a fun, like I'm not a huge show person i don't know why i've never really really been into the shows i'm more of an attraction person um over parades and everything but it's a really well put together show and i've seen it multiple times and i never really get tired of it because it's well written and funny um so i would love to see like a star wars version I, I wish i could remember who told me that but i feel like that was a plan at some point was to have a Muppet version of that. So maybe they could just transform that area, keep it Muppet, but keep, but make it like Star Wars, you know, cause the Muppet movie ride was going to be like almost a spoof of the great movie ride, you know, and in good fun, obviously where it would be them trying to make a movie, but it was like a disaster. So they could almost apply that and make it some sort of Star Wars Muppet experience. I don't know that it's a possibility kind of a win-win. They don't have to get rid of Muppets entirely, but they can integrate the, the franchise a little bit. It'd I mean, be a I, lot of fun. I feel like my one concern, well, the only the reason I wouldn't see it happening is because it seems like the day they bought Star Wars, they got real serious about it. And that's when we saw like Star mm. Wars weekends go away, like the True. dance off yeah. and all the fun stuff they did with the brand suddenly disappeared overnight. And they're like, no, no, we're making new movies. This is a legit series. So that I could see them. But as long as somebody could come around and like let let, let them lighten up about it, I think it'd be fun. I have to yeah, ask. They did get the, rid of all that stuff, didn't they? Are the yeah, are the Muppets? I mean, I'm not a Muppet. I, even as a kid, I never watched the Muppets. Are the Muppets still a really popular franchise? Because it seems like theme park people love them. Mm. But other than that, I never hear anything about the Muppets. Uh, not as much. I know they tried to do that new Muppet show, and I think it got canceled after a season. I know I watched the pilot, and it was it was funny. It was like The Office slash. It was like the an office version of the Muppets. It was kind of weird, um, but I do remember they tried to revive it a bit, and I don't think it's still going. I think it was canceled after a season or something like that. Well, yeah, but they have another people. show in the works now. Mm. Aren't they doing supposed- the Muppet Babies again too? Are, are I, th- they? I think so. I think so. I was at the uh, I was at the Mall of America last them. week, and they had like a huge, like a huge thing of just Muppet Babies merchandise, and I was like. 
either it's like the 1990s or they're doing the Muppet Babies again. And I'm pretty sure it's 2019. So would, hmm. I would not be surprised at all if they do that. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's 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 I think the way I'd sum it up is they're trying to keep it really relevant and they're having very mixed to like low end success, especially when you compare it to like the the insane success of Marvel and Star Wars and then yeah. Pixar too. It's it's to the point where even I like often forget like this is another one of the, those acquisitions that Disney finally got because they don't yep. really do enough with it and I think it's because they don't know how to do it because the Muppets were so big as like this variety show at a time where that's what 90s. people wanted. Yeah, and now I don't think they know what peg to fit that into. So I think yeah. they're trying to find that. Cuz yeah, cuz it is a very cuz it's kid friendly but it also had humor for adults. But I don't know. I guess you'd have to do like a survey and ask like the average teenager, you know, do you know about the Muppets cuz Obviously, we all do, but it's a different. They're not really pushing it nearly, you know, as much as, you know, they were. You know, back in the day, they were so desperate to get the Muppets in the parks and have the characters walk around. And then, of course, Jim Henson passed, and then they kind of thought, oh, without Jim Henson, the deal's not really worth that much, and lawsuits and everything. But yeah, I feel like now it doesn't have as much of a presence in. You know, but are they popular with the kids? Because that's what matters. I mean, obviously, the people that remember them are still fond of them, but uh, what matters to Disney is, do kids like the Muppets anymore? Uh, I don't do think survey so. I mean, I, I honestly, it, this isn't very scientific, but if you ju- just look at the crowds that come out of that Disney Junior area and then look at the crowds that come out of Muppet Vision 3D, and I think right. these days kids aren't, unless the parents are actively trying to pass their childhood on, I think kids aren't really drawn to it as much. Well, I did just look it up, and Disney Junior has a 2018 reboot of the Muppet Babies. So, oh, so there you go. There, might, it might be about to get huge again. Might be Muppet season. Hmm. I remember the Muppet Babies when when that came out. I was a, a little kid. It was a fun show. So, what would you say um, is because I, I guess I've never heard any super controversial thing from you, but what would you say is like your most controversial opinion about whether it's a park or an attraction that you feel like not, not to rile anyone up, but I'm curious because <laughs> I like I've heard you talking with Kevin and nothing you've said has ever been like, Ooh, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, it's not like you said we should, you know, destroy all the fantasy land dark rides or something. So like, what would you say is like your most controversial opinion, at least that you've gotten uh, backlash from maybe the the shorter version is whenever I've been asked what ride or attraction is too sacred to like replace or shut down my answer is none none of them are like <laughs> if there was an and you could go a step further if there was an attraction out there that Walt built with his own two hands I'd still say it's it's able to be replaced as long as what's replacing it is worthy of it uh, I think that has upset a lot of people because everybody in their own mind they have that one ride where they feel like it's not disney without it um but i i think in general i I get a lot of flack because i am very i would say i'm very understanding of the direction epcot is taking right now and i think Mm, a lot of people translate that as i'm pro packing the that park with all the ips but i i i do fundamentally believe that a lot of you know the core foundations of Epcot as a theme park are no longer relevant. And that doesn't mean right. the future world stuff or just looking towards or enjoying the future. But that was, to me, 
you know, everything I've read about it, that's a theme park that was built around the concept of a perpetual World's Fair at a time where World's Fair were still somewhat relevant and they were at least fresh in the mind of adults who had grown up with the World's Fair. Today, you know, the World Expo isn't really that big of a thing anymore. Like, it still goes on. We haven't had one in the States for decades and I think with the the progress of uh, technology and the internet and just the way things are rolled out these days, it's just become less and less relevant to have a World's Fair. And so the idea of trying to maintain it and uh, when I, I tried to like sit down one day and really boil it down to like, how do I sum up what my argument has been for these parks all along? And that is, you know, I believe you can change a detail on a ride and you can change a scene in a ride. And it's okay to change a ride itself, and even to an extent, we've seen lands get completely transformed. But whereas I think a lot of people draw a line in the sand there, I think, why can't the theme or core theme of a theme park itself change over time? And that's why I guess I don't get super upset about like where Future World's headed, because I don't think they're trying to be the future world of 1982 anymore. I think that's kind of changed. And I think there are a lot of people who say, well, that's what we should be aiming for. And I'm kind of in the Mm -hmm. camp of like, well, if that needs to change, let it change. Let, you know, uh, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I think there's been there was a lot of backlash about putting Star Wars land in Disneyland because that's not something they did. They never did lands based on one property before. But I think that's where the evolution of theme parks is going. So why not start doing that? Why not let that evolve the way it does? And well, as far as like Epcot, like it used to be all about. I think I heard the term edutainment, Mm -hmm. where that was really even when it came to the World Showcase and their attractions. And um, uh, I've recently been digging more into Communicore, and I had no idea. I mean, I always knew about it, but in kind of diving into more of it. You know, just the just the blending of entertainment and education was such a huge priority and foundation of Epcot. And I feel like that just not to say it can't, but I feel like it's harder to do that nowadays. You know, generations have different interests, I guess, or maybe it has to do with the fact that back then you didn't have the Internet if you want if you wanted to know how electricity worked or you wanted to know how telephones work or you wanted to know how whatever worked you know it was cool to be able to experience all these different activities to teach you how technology functioned but now with the internet and youtube you can just look it up and someone probably has some really great flashy entertaining video and i feel like you know it doesn't have a place as much in terms of a theme park where you're going you're paying money to experience something and to have it be something that you can just kind of experience nowadays you know any time you want that's probably i would imagine a huge factor in in that foundation moving away from that i think wowing kids is probably a lot harder now that every seven-year-old has a not every seven-year-old but a lot of seven-year-olds are you know they've got entertainment everywhere they look you know yep they've got a smartphone they've got a ps4 they have all these things versus a kid for even me go play outside you know it wasn't do all these crazy things so epcot a lot disney didn't have to try as hard to wow people i don't think exactly technology you know i think edutainment has still has a place i think it exists i think it's just existed elsewhere for a while now i mean this is a couple of years old now at this point but i remember reading about classes that would teach programming through minecraft 
and hmm. that's fantastic. And I love the idea of using a medium like video games to teach. Yeah. I remember learning a whole lot about just the mechanics of uh, space travel and orbit and things like that through like Kerbal Space Program. And these are things that are accessible in your own home for as low as like 20 bucks. And that that world didn't exist as much in 1982. It just wasn't there. And right. so I think people in theme parks today are chasing immersion. I think that's why people are really excited about Star Wars land, because you have this idea of, you know, it's no longer here's this land with various attractions that fit a theme. It is, no, I'm in Star Wars now. Why did Harry mm-hmm. Potter do so well? And, and you know, to this point... You don't go to Harry Potter or, you know, Diagon Alley or or Hogsmeade and find, you know, Harry Potter dolls or, you know, Hermione Hermione dolls. You're finding wands and robes and you're finding things that immerse you into that world. And I think that's what people are looking Mm. for more of. And it's hard to do that if your mission statement is, well, I'm going to teach you about electricity on this ride you know it's i think it's we need to put you in these more visceral experiences and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i think that's just the evolution of of how things are going now what i would love to see disney do more of and i'm kind of disappointed that they haven't is step into worlds of video gaming and you know home entertainment so that they can fill those gaps and still offer that level of like education through entertainment Mm -hmm. rather than just leaving it behind completely and you know letting someone else deal with it because they have so many fantastic properties they can do that with i just don't know if the theme parks are the best place to do them anymore i think that's and and i think i'll go ahead mark i'll just quickly say i think going back to what you were saying earlier universal has an easier time with creating these new lands and and attractions because i think with disney and that's part of not the problem, but going back to what you were saying about, you know, the the Walt Disney is such an iconic figure and had such an important part in a lot of the attractions and lands that remain today. But with Universal, there really wasn't that one iconic figure, you know. Um, and there are certainly people like, uh, I think, Lou Wesserman who was involved in the park, but there was no, like, historical figure or someone everyone loved you know it's just a different thing where if a if a universal ride goes away that's been there for however long there's not as much of a it wasn't like oh alfred hitchcock built this himself you know it's it's different because even i think the only thing that comes close is like jaws but even then that was just based on a beloved Spielberg movie, and it has changed a ton from when it first opened. So I think that's where Disney is at a little bit of a disadvantage in terms of public perception because, you know, Universal doesn't have that where nothing, I feel like nothing's really looked at as like sacred other than E.T., but again, that's a totally different perspective, whereas Disneyland, you get into that issue with pirates or any of the other ones where he was so closely connected with it and people are so passionate about Walt Disney as a, as a person and universal doesn't really have to, you know, worry about that. Um, But universal also doesn't have the luxury of having all these cheap to maintain rides that are classics and still drawing people and still popular because uh, universal's rides become not many really last that long because the ones that, uh, you know, like rides at Disney that really, by all standards, or by all standards, should be really dated, are just kind of not because they had Walt's touch. So people are just like, oh, well, they should stay there. And I, I'm sure Disney doesn't mind, uh, at least with certain rides that just continue to draw crowds, even if and yeah, and, and soak up crowds, even if they don't have to put much money into them ever. 
So, I mean, there's definitely a trade-off there. And I also think when it comes to, like, just moving into back into the how accessible, really impressive technology is nowadays, I think that's why people have started to really, really get sick of screen rides and get sick of not having, like, that physical, tangible thing in front of them because you can just put on an Oculus Rift and right, experience totally. VR. So why fly to Orlando to sit in front of a screen, you know? Well, that's why it has to be. It can't be like a Fast and Furious where, you know, it's, it's just the rides. It's just, I don't like to say horrible, but it's pretty awful. It's pretty horrible, you yeah. It's... it's like it has to, and we've brought this up numerous times, like I think the only way a screen ride can work is if it's like Forbidden Journey where there are so many practical effects and so many so much practical scenery that the screen portions enhance it, but it isn't the main drive of it. You know, even with Spider-Man, there's so many practical effects and um, things that go on that really immerse you in the experience that you don't really feel like, I think with that one especially, you don't feel like you're just hopping from one screen to another to another. Transformers kind of maybe less so, but I think that's the problem when you have such a when you have a ride that's just screens because then it's again like you said you can just with virtual reality is becoming so easily attainable for like the average person that you don't want to spend all this money going into a park with something you could pretty much do at home unless there's enough tangible and physical stuff going on around you i just hope fast and furious was was the low point like i hope that that is seen as the absolute <laughs> yeah, low yeah. point and from here on we learned you know i don't know what else that i mean that's pretty because the thing that i always thought was funny was even from opening day i don't think i've ever seen it have more than a 45 minute wait so i don't know if that just shows that the average joe isn't that interested in it or if just word spread that it's really not that worthy of an attraction compared to everything else but it never had that you know, the queue is so long. The queue is like, it feels like you're walking through it forever. And I've never had to even wait in a fraction of it, you know. Um, As like an unironic fan of the films who has, like, grown to love them over the years, the queue is the attraction. Like, yeah. I don't need to ride the ride once I get to the end of the line. I just want to go through That's the my queue. my favorite part. I, I mean, how that ride, I mean, I could go on forever about that ride, but, like, <laughs> how it got greenlit. Like, how did you even get into that meeting where you, you settle on it being a bus as a ride vehicle and that and then you go forward from there? Blew my mind. Like, the franchise is called Fast and the Furious. Like, how do you not yeah. start with a roller coaster or something at like, the very least? Uh, like, you're going to have some animatronics, though, right? No, no, no. It's all just, like, two screens. You go from one yeah, to the next. It's it like, well, it's going to go. You're going to have something, right? No. Like it's just, but but it's I think not like King I... Kong, where you know, at the very least, I like I enjoy King Kong because it has more of an immersion to it, and then the end, that incredible animatronic, is worth the waiting because just so well done. But it doesn't have anything like that. Yeah, the queue's the best part, and the I always say half jokingly because I wouldn't be surprised that they put more time because it took a long time to construct. From, be, from when they announced it to when it opened, that more time went into the queue and the shop, the merchandise, uh, the merch shop, than the ride itself. It shows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I find it interesting that Universal, after Harry Potter, didn't go, okay, this is all we're doing for the rest of, like, not just Harry Potter, but this is our <laughs> yeah. approach for everything else we do from now on, because I think that that is a great symbol of the evolution that they need to follow and that Disney needs to follow. Like, you know, 
I think a lot of people have also criticized the path of Hollywood studios talking about how it was this park that opened about the making of movies. And now that's oh, yeah. kind of been lost and is going to be lost even more with Star Not Wars. Not even Land. kind of, it's just gone aside from sunset Boulevard. That's really, and then some of the parking lot signs, you would have no real idea and maybe the Indiana Jones stunt show, but it's just not even, yeah, it's not even a shadow of its former self. It's just not even there. And the fact that I think it shows that the only, you know, cause now it's the 30th anniversary or whatever, but the only original attraction, whether it be a show or anything is the Indiana Jones stunt show. That's the only original attraction from opening day. And that's pretty insane. But I'd argue though, that was not only that the smart move for them, it was necessary, right? Because oh, yeah. Yeah. When that park opened in the early 90s, I think there was still an allure to the idea of filmmaking. It was this thing you never really saw a whole lot of. And to get a peek as to how movies were made, where the movie magic came from, was this this very novel and outside yeah. experience for guests. And then, then DVDs came Exactly. <laughs> you've got behind-the-scenes featurettes. And then it started popping up in the internet. And now we're at a point where it's part of the marketing of every movie that comes out is seeing behind-the-scenes. Right. So, yeah. like... I think the entire appeal of that world has not been lost completely, but it's so normal now that how do you base a theme park around it? It just it doesn't but it seem had possible. To, because the only reason it works for Universal Hollywood in in um, L.A. is because it has the history, you know, of sure. it being a movie studio that's been around since like what nineteen twelve or whatever. Um, but MGM doesn't have that. They built it to try to be, <laughs> um, you know, Hollywood at the East and failed tremendously just like universal tried to do the same thing and uh, there's a lot of parallels because you know they were kind of competing with each other for that but it, i i totally see how at the time it would have seemed like a brilliant idea and it was but then like you, know, you said with dvds and the internet and everything it just got to where it it had to change so that's where i'm at i'm like i've never been like oh you know, it's sad to see. I mean, it is sad in a way because they feel nostalgic, but I understand because it wouldn't have survived, you know, the the behind the scene tours that they had. Um, but that's the, the only thing I guess I would love to see more of is I always enjoyed looking at the props. Like I love looking at movie props and memorabilia that were used like screen used. Um, but that's really the only aspect of it that I would say I like really miss in terms of that I still think could work today if they had more. But that's the issue with Disney trying to theme a theme park around something that's constantly changing. You know, like you, you build Epcot and theme it around technology. Either you have to go all in at updating it every time yep. technology changes or the park's going to feel dated. With movies, that's why Disney Quest failed. everything about movies has changed since that park was built, so it feels dated. It's the reason Animal Kingdom still feels like a park, because nature doesn't change in 20 years, you know? Nature is still the same right. way nature was 20 years ago. Like, every park Disney has tried to build in the, build in the U.S. Uh, that wasn't based on, you know, like the Disneyland Magic Kingdom model has failed other than Animal Kingdom. I mean, California Adventure... That's just a stupid idea from the beginning. I mean, building a <laughs> building a park themed around California and California. I don't know what thought about California. that one. How would you like to experience California within the California park? It was such a bizarre. There had to be one I, family though that was like, "Well, we let's let's cancel the plans for San Francisco. We're going to California Adventure. <laughs> this is as good as seeing the entire state." <laughs> that was. There's got to be like a. I, I would love to look more into like how that came to be and and if there were people saying yeah i don't think this is a good idea because there's really no sense of any kind of immersion 
at all. <laughs> and then, you know, pretty failed tremendously. But yeah, it's, it's I get the vibe times. that was that was towards the era of Eisner's idea not being so hot anymore. Like, yeah, he was a, a great idea theme. man earlier on, but the but it's such a bizarre theming. Like when you're thinking of all the different ways you could theme a, a brand new park to have it be the theme of California when you're in California, you know, it's just, it's just so bizarre. I know. think, like Rob said, it's just one of those late late year Eisner ideas where he was just so out of touch. No matter how much you think about it, it's not going to make sense. It only makes sense if you don't think about yeah. it at all. Yeah, he was he was he was done. He had his he had his millions. He had had his he had revolutionized Disney for a while. You know what else can you do when you've created like the Disney Renaissance? Just sabotage you know, only, and then get out. There's, there's only one <laughs> way to down. go. I guess he went, but he, I guess he went and saw the Frozen uh, production. I saw a tweet uh, tweet from him. He went to the I think the the Frozen show they have over at Hollywood Studios. I, and, uh, and Anaheim. I was just shocked to learn that he was all involved. I don't know if either of you guys watch uh, BoJack Horseman, but mm-hmm. he's like mm-hmm. heavily he's involved with that. It. And I'm like, man, yep, he still got it. Television, yeah. you know, he's surprisingly, I, I think television is some a space where he does he because that's where he came from. You know, he was a big TV guy, and he created so many things that revolutionized television, like the. Um, I know he was very big in the creation of, like, the whole concept of the movie of the week, which then we saw at Disney with the DCOMs, right? So, like, he, he was a visionary there. I just think he, every, all of his ideas were a reflection of him. And then as he got older, that meant it was the reflection of an older and older person. And, mm-hmm. you know, it started with some cool ideas like, all right, let's get Disney stores. Let's get Disney cruise lines. Let's do all this cool stuff. And then it's like, all right, Disney Institute. Let's doesn't Don't people want to go to Disney and, like, learn about, like, gardening? And it's like, well, no, not really, not not as many people as you think, but I guess you do because maybe you're getting older, and that's just kind of the path he's going yeah. down. I mean, Bob well, Iger, Disney... Bob Iger's almost seventy. We're probably going to start seeing this all over again. Possibly, is he really seventy? Yeah. Wow, he looks. I think good he's like, for his I think age. he's like sixty-seven or sixty-eight. Now, how long does he have left, like in terms of president, or does he have to resign, or is it a, like a contractual renewal? That didn't he get like a massive raise this year? Uh, he did. Uh, he so he has been extending his contract. Right now, his contract's extended through twenty twenty one. He was supposed to step down years ago, and it's just mm. there was always another thing for him to settle. And now I believe the idea is he wants to extend it until everything's settled with the Fox acquisition, and then oh, he'd right. step down. Uh, and I kind of believe this will this will be the time he actually does because I just think in the next couple of years we're going to see the height of Disney, and it'll be hard for him to top what this next couple of years is going to bring for Disney. So I think he's going to want to go out while his legacy is kind of secured. And it'll be a real interesting question as to who comes next. I mean, if he steps down... Or if if they have anyone lined up or if they're priming anyone behind the scenes, kind of like how Eisner was for a while before he stepped down. Hmm. Like if there's someone right now being primed as the next, you know, next Iger. I mean, if he steps down in the next few years, he'll be looked back on as like one of the best... I mean, you'd have yep. to think so. At least from a financial standpoint, he'd have to be the that's best. Why I, that's why Eisner should have left right at the peak, and he would have been renowned as, like, you know, the man who saved Disney. Yeah, it, it's totally, it'll be interesting to see in retrospect, because Iger was there with the ABC acquisition. So to, so he saw Eisner during those right. years where he kind of fell out of um, favor <laughs> out of and was forced out. And so is he going to look back and go, 
oh, I, this happened to him. Better not let it happen to me. I or is he going to totally forget about that and then fall for the same exact trap? Who knows? But it'll be I could see him learning from that whole situation and wanting to go out while being ahead. I hope. You know? I hope. I mean, I would imagine by now he's probably got a little nest egg for retirement. So. <laughs> yeah, just a tad. Just a little, a little bit of money saved away in the in his savings. And... <laughs> he's got the rainy day jar set up. <laughs> uh, it just boggles my mind when you think about the kind of money that gets thrown around in those positions. I just it's hard to even imagine. You know, I'm yeah. sure at a certain point, and it doesn't even. I mean, you can't even really imagine just how much money you have. It's just, it's just a number and. You oh, just yeah. want to see that number get larger because what are you going to do with that amount of money? What are your great, great, great grandchildren going to do with that money? He's going to buy a Disney cruise ship and live on it and just travel the seas like a pirate. You know, just his own his own cruise ship. And he just wanders the halls late at night. I would sail on the Iger. I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> the Iger. <laughs> Take a trip on the Iger. Arg. It's why I love suggesting Disney War to anybody interested in Disney as a, as a book I love to that read. book. Because I, I, I think it book. does offer a fascinating insight into the mind of that sort of mega CEO. Because it, I do I do agree. I think at some point the money becomes just this, this ethereal number that's hard to quantify. And I, I do think it's like built into their life that it's just – it's not even about making – it's not about the money – for using the money it's about this is the next accomplishment i need to do the next thing and reading in there about executives who were getting laid off with like million dollar severance packages and they were distraught because they didn't know what they were going to do next and i think for people like us it's like well i'm going to sit on a couple million dollars for a while and just enjoy life but for them it's like no no i need i need this purpose and it's it's, right. it's a whole other world and it's it's an interesting look into it i mean i feel that way a bit like, cause I've always, I've personally never been that I could never imagine me personally being the type to, no matter how much money I've accumulated or whatever, to just retire and not still want to create, whether it's documentaries or, and, you know, it, I, I kind of have that too, but I, so I understand a little bit from that perspective, obviously not the, the millions and being a CEO or anything, but that never really seeing myself as like retiring, you know, and just like buying, you know, an old cottage and not really, you know, I'd always have to be creating or something. Oh, and for sure. So Jim Henson was the same way. I think he would have been creating and innovating till the day he died had he not passed so early because he had the same thing. Once he accomplished one form of medium, he'd be like, okay, what's next? Even if it was making him, you know, tons and tons of money, he was just always wanting to innovate and create and push um, the envelope on what entertainment could be. But, um, now, are, are you on the – because I, I think it was Kevin where he was more skeptical of how the events of Eisner or how he was portrayed in the book. Are you more on the camp of thinking how – you know, that it was more truthful or that it was greatly exaggerated in Disney War in terms of Eisner and his personality and some of the backstabbing that he did in the book? Uh, I think it was probably truthful. So I've read three books. I like to I suggest to people the what I call the Eisner trilogy, and it's three <laughs> very different books. There's um, Work in Progress by Michael Eisner, which is his take on his legacy, mm. and it is very um, cheery, rosy. Like you know, he's like, oh, and I had this like little thing with Jeffrey Katzenberg, but you don't have to worry about that. You know, little thing <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I had read uh, Keys to the Kingdom by I want to say it's Kim Math. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And it is, I think, a real scathing, like, Eisner is the, the guy who's ruined Disney and he's only out for himself. And so to me, I find Disney War to be a little bit in between. Like, I think it did mm-hmm. credit his what he had done for the company, but I think it also shows all the blemishes that came along with it. And uh, that's kind of why it's my favorite, because I think, you know, I think he's like anybody else where it isn't, you know, all black and white. There's, you know, right. he, he certainly I, I get the impression it wasn't that he was. I think he really cared about Disney and the path it was taking. I think he thought very highly of his own opinions of everything. And I think he had some leadership issues, especially towards the end when he didn't have like Frank yeah. Wells as a checks and balance. Um but yeah, I thought th- I, I don't know. I, I walked away from that book going, "This is probably the closest to reality, com- especially compared to these other two books." Because coming from like my mom, who's not a Disney history buff by any means, but she's actually the one who recommended the book to me. But that book made her just have the lowest opinion of, <laughs> of Eisner, like the lowest. She just not hate because she doesn't really hate anyone, but she just had I don't know. It just changed any perception that she did have of him during that time she just thought it made her feel like he was just this constant backstabbing snake and i didn't really get that impression but i could see from someone who isn't into the disney history that doesn't know all the good that maybe they would walk away um with that impression well yeah have you ever also i'm sorry i was gonna say have you ever read um the men who would be king that is also a weird continuation of that where it's more from katzenberg's and Spielberg starting DreamWorks. No, so that's but another I really good am one. I'm definitely going to read that now. I like that concept. Yeah, it's called. I think it's called the Men Who Would Be King, or Kings, and it's Spielberg and Katzenberg, and I forget the other person. And it does chrono uh, follow a little bit of Katzenberg leaving Disney, and then their journey in creating DreamWorks, and a lot of the things that went wrong, and a lot of what went right. But I would add that to your. Your trilogy as a as a I don't know uh, not a prequel but a oh yeah an Just, epilogue maybe <laughs> yeah. absolutely I mean you know what it is too I think a lot of times. Uh... Well, one, it's show business, and it's just it is a very cutthroat, like right. methodical. People are always backstabbing one another. So I don't think there's, I think there's truth to that. Uh, but also, like I think public facing. Remember, Eisner was somebody who was, he was trying to be like Walt Disney. He was putting himself in front of the movies uh, that they were showing on. Uh, I forgot what it was called now. Of course, I'm blanking. But on their you know uh, weekly show, and you know he was trying to be the likable executive and he was one of the first Hollywood executives who was a personality in itself like that was the beginning of the era of people knowing producers and presidents and so I could see why people saw that outwardly and then now learn that oh he yeah he was you know he, he kind of controlling and backstabbing and doing all this stuff uh, I guess coming from the Disney fandom where I think so many people were like Eisner ruined Disney flat out Eisner was the worst reading Disney where I was like, oh, well, he's not, it doesn't seem as bad as, you know, some of this community has made him out to be, um, had me on the other side of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I, the biggest thing is that he just, his mentality seemed to change into more near the end of, uh, cheap, fast. And, you know, I forget the, the term, I think that they use in the, in the book Disney war, but his mentality just changed to more of, you know, what could get the most gains financially with the least amount of effort and quality if i'm not remembering it incorrectly that he kind of 
Yeah, he he had his his singles and doubles strategy, which was the idea. Oh, that's of, right. Yep. You know, you, not everything has to be a home run. You could have a solid single, low cost, and you make that money back. But then, like Hollywood changed, and suddenly those movies weren't flying anymore. And I just think he's not as good of a a studio head when it comes to home runs and blockbusters, and that's why we started to see problems arise. I remember he he was not a big fan of like the way Pirates of the Caribbean was going. I remember he was opposed to Lost when the pilot for that aired. And I just think like his taste just kind of fell out of sync with what people wanted, and it was at a time where he should have stepped down a few years earlier. Yeah, and like I said, had he stepped down during that period, you know, when he was at the height I mean, he would be remembered as just so differently as the one of the best things that ever happened to the company. Well, that's what's weird because Bob Iger is older now than Eisner was when he stepped down, a few years older. Like, yeah, might be time, Bob. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> one benefit of Bob is his whole strategy seems to be uh, find what people love and buy it. And so I think that's given him <laughs> yeah. a little bit more longevity than Eisner trying to do original stuff. But even that is... That's a that's a strategy that's on borrowed time because what's left? Yeah. Like you bought Fox, there ain't no, there's not much left to buy. That's why I love that meme that went around or um, GIF. I guess that'd be the proper term of uh, Thanos like collecting the stones, but someone put you know like Mickey Mouse and then Fox and then Lucasfilm and like the stones that he's collecting. You know, like trying to take over the whole entertainment industry and just. Fox is just one more to add to the gauntlet. Yep. Which is, I mean, not to go off on a tangent here, um, but, like, that's the big risk of whoever takes over for Iger. I think Iger recognizes that after buying Fox and for how much they're spending, like, I don't think there's anything left that they can do. Like, with especially without running into the risk of, like, antitrust issues, uh, especially in the film industry. And so I think he's going to leave now going, great, look at this. I've made my legacy. I'm going to go ahead and retire on top. And whoever steps <laughs> well, in problem. can't can't go, I'm going to do what Bob Iger did. Because, again, there's nothing left to buy without there being some real problems. So they have to approach it in a fresh and different way. And my biggest fear is that whoever steps in is going to look at Iger's blueprints and go, I'm just going to try and be Iger again. And uh, when we are going to need now, this is the part of the cycle where we need somebody like Eisner or, you know, somebody like, you know, I don't want to, co- I hate comparing Eisner and Disney as if they're even close to the same playing field, but we need somebody who has a focus on originality as opposed to yeah. acquisitions. Because then when do you get into the, the line of monopolizing the industry? I don't know if that has anything to do with it. We're getting close for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as far close. as blockbusters go, I mean... Yeah, I, it's it's pretty insane. I mean, as far as, like, there's tons of independent... I mean, really, like, the biggest contender in terms of box office, like, blockbusters that are really doing their own thing that aren't Disney or, you know, Warner Brothers. You've got you've got DC, you know, you've got those uh, Blumhouse movies coming out and making $500 million on a $5 million budget, uh, which I bet Disney wishes they could get a piece of that. I don't know if you guys watch horror movies, but it's just crazy how much they can make on so little. Um, oh, yeah. The budgets are always very, very, very low, and the returns are very high, which is why we get so many garbage horror movies, because they just know that it'll make back its you know spending and then a little bit more. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, their whole model is you only need one hit to fund the next 50 movies. You know, you get one Halloween like this summer, and you can fund... Uh, 
50 movies till you get the next hit. But yeah, I mean, I think as far as... I mean, I, I see these people that are always like, they're scared of Disney, you know? Like, they think Disney's going to take over the world. Um, that's not going to happen. But as yeah. far as like... There's like checks and balances, right? Where you, you can only go so far before you get into legal issues of, like I said, monopolizing, like, because I think that's some sort of legal thing that you can get into where people can start well, Disney is, lawsuits or something. I mean, Disney is far off from a monopoly in terms of who is making movies and such, but in terms of, like, who is dominating the box office, uh, yeah, Disney isn't going anywhere. And Disney, that, that's kind of the scary thing, which I think is what Rob was alluding to, is when uh, Iger steps down, they really don't need to. I think they should, but they don't need to do anything original. They could just live off the IPs they bought for the next 30 years and would probably have no issues. Um, I, I, at least I, I really think so. And I, yeah, I, they could just coast on what they've been, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a know? coast. It wouldn't be a coast until 20 years from now. And they realize, Oh, we've blown through all these and now we have nothing original and fresh left. Uh, what do we do? Which is why they need to see that ahead of time and not just, you know, uh, hire Alden to make a Indiana Jones, uh, remake. And, uh, you know, like that's that, that's one direction I could see them doing. Where it's like, all right, let's resurrect Indiana Jones, new actor. Mm-hmm. Let's resurrect all these IPs that we we now own. Not that they just got Indiana Jones, but uh, after Harrison Ford's done his last hurrah, I, I could just see them focusing on that as opposed to anything original. Which I think it's really a market that they, I think we've talked about it before that they haven't really tapped into, like the Indiana Jones or even like the Goonies. That kind of exploring adventure. Uh, you don't really see those kind of movies very often, you know. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's why... So I could see them going down that avenue with even theme park experiences, like some kind of crazy, you know, Tom Sawyer Island or uh, Pirate Lair Island or whatever it's called, times like 10, where you really do feel like an adventurer and like an explorer. Um, I feel like that's an avenue, and that could be original. That's not necessarily based on an IP, but I think they could do something with that sort of genre in terms of attractions and films they could but but will they i mean uh, will, will, no, I, I actually not. don't really know we i think we did talk about this so i'll keep it short but i i just do find it weird how with how many people that i know just love movies that are in that style of like national treasure indiana jones the first two mummy movies it's just so weird why not many get made it's because everyone loves untapped them untapped well i think the problem if i were to guess and it <laughs> kind of has to do with me having uh I, had a f- I think I mentioned I had a few hours to kill, and I decided to finally watch the Tom Cruise Mummy movie. You loved it. And <laughs> it was an incredible. It was an amazing film on how not to make an action movie. But I think the problem with that genre, and obviously the, this had a lot more issues than um, this alone, but one of the problems is writing that line of being campy and th- taking yourself seriously, but also having humor because none of that worked in the movie. like, And it's a really hard balance, you know, because the first two Mummy movies are really fun, but they're also really kind of campy. But they take themselves seriously enough to where you do get emotionally invested. More in the just the first one. Um, the second's kind of a guilty pleasure. But I think that's a really... They kind of struck gold with those that first Mummy movie with Brendan Fraser where it hit all those notes really well. And I think it's really hard with that genre well, you- to not go too campy to not take itself too seriously to, you know, and now everyone's in the whole world building thing. So then it's hard to yeah. do anything standalone and not try to shoehorn 
oh, this is part of a brand new series. So I think it's like an untapped well, but it's because it's a, a genre that's really hard to get right. But I, if I, were to I feel like you also have to have that perfect lead man or woman. Like, you know, National Treasure without Nicolas Cage. <laughs> He's Nicolas Cage. You know what I mean? Like, the Mummy yeah. without... I mean, Brendan Fraser is really, like, underappreciated in terms of how He's great he was in, in certain movies. And Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford is just a... Yep. I mean, yeah, it's like you need that front guy, and there aren't a lot of them. Still. That's why the Jurassic World movies don't really work for me all that much because I love Chris Pratt, but they don't really utilize him in a way they could. You know, like he's to me never comes across as like charismatic. Yeah, really. what, I mean, he's good. What, he's, what are they? Yeah. What does Red Letter Media call him in those movies? Owen Thunderguns or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's like he's yeah. A, he, he's a good actor, and I I think he's one of those types that I could see later having some sort of. Not, I don't want to say Matthew McConaughey renaissance because he's not in like garbage movies or anything, but kind of stopping with the action stuff and really turning around and doing some really great performances because he's so talented. But the movies don't really utilize him the way that The Mummy utilized Brendan Fraser's comedic talents and also being able to be a leading man. Um, Tom Cruise just didn't. He was. I think it was the biggest. It's a whole other tangent, but he was just miscast. I don't think he was bad in the Mummy. He actually. The only times I even kind of chuckled were some of his lines or moments, mm-hmm. and there were very few. But I think he was just very miscast. In addition to a million other issues the movie had in the script department. Well, is, is there also an argument to be made about just the saturation of of an actor's use, like? To, to me, yeah. I think part of it is when I think of Tom Cruise, I think of Mission Impossible. When I think of Chris Pratt, I think of Star-Lord. And so, like, you get to a point where, you know, there's you, you got to find somebody who can own that character and not be known as the 10 other characters right now that are being yeah. used. And, you know, add on to that, I, I think there's an argument to be made that it becomes more of an um, an investment for studios because if you want to do it well, I think what makes the films do better is when you do more practical shooting. Like, I don't know, I'm not as excited. When I think of, you know, you mentioned Indiana Jones and the Goonies, and I'm picturing, you know, all these scenes of, you know, them being in these places or, or at least being on sets that looked very yeah. much like those places, whereas today it's just kind green of like, screen. all right, yeah. a lot of green screen or, you know... Um, yeah. You know, I, ju- I guess it just doesn't sell that they're there as yeah. well. Um, it's That's where like I give Kingdom filmmaking. of the Crystal Skull credit, a little bit of credit for Spielberg actually taking the time to build some of the sets. And they were actually very well constructed, like the 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 end scene where they're... I try to block that movie from my memory, but when they're (laughs) traveling down the thing that's collapsing in the sand and like, but it was a real thing they constructed. And that's really, really rare because it's easier to just throw them on a green screen. And that, yeah, I totally agree. That's where my memories are of Indiana Jones and the Goonies is like him actually doing those stunts or appearing to do the stunts and real scenery, them in real locations really inside a tomb that they constructed not just and that's where i will give the mummy a little bit of credit is it did have some pretty great set design um but that's yeah i I have very few accolades i can give that movie but i give you credit i didn't get as far into it as i got up to the like the 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 morgue scene very early on and i was like i'm done yeah i it was it was on a uh hbo go and i recently redid my subscription so i can watch game of thrones legally um and i was like why not 
I, I was, is, it was a sheer curiosity because I'd heard how awful it was. I'd read or listened to Red Letter Media's review. I'm like, okay, is it really that bad? And I don't think it was like the worst movie I've ever seen, but it had a lot of problems. But I think it's a good movie to watch in terms of how not to make a movie because it could have worked, I think, like a whole rebooting of The Mummy and then the monster world that kind of got abandoned. I really think it could have, but they've put too much focus in areas that they shouldn't have and not enough and, you know, and like, I don't know, making you care about people in the movie, you know, or having the jokes land. Well, at least we're in the so, era of yeah. uh, reboots only taking six months after the most recent movie because now they're <laughs> re, 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 rebooting the mummy. Because uh, now they're just they're scrapping the whole dark universe or whatever and actually doing horror movies uh, with those franchises, yeah. which I think is what they should have done to begin with. But when talking about Chris Pratt, and it wasn't scary at all. It wasn't even. I wasn't meant to be the, though. Yeah. I mean, even the trailers didn't. Did you ever see that trailer for that movie they accidentally released unfinished? I loved it. Oh, oh my yeah. god! Yeah, you see them like fall off the plane. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Like even like again, it had its campiness. But I can I watched the Mummy, the first Brendan Fraser Mummy with my girlfriend a couple years ago, and it's a little dated in parts. But I will say that the Mummy still creeps the crap out of me in some of those scenes. Some of those scenes I actually have a hard time watching because they're so creepy, and the way he moves and the the beetles and everything. There wasn't a single moment in the in my opinion in the new Mummy that even no, nothing. It was just. That's that was a huge miss. I don't know. Tom Cruise is just too. I, I mean, I don't. I, Tom Cruise. I really am impressed by how he does all his own stunts. But stunts. But as far as an actor, he's just. I don't know. He's just too bland for me a lot of the time. He just. He doesn't have that. Like, like Chris Pratt. I really love Chris Pratt, but I don't think Chris Pratt playing his Chris Pratt character in every movie is is enough for me. Like Nicolas Cage yeah. playing Nicolas Cage. That's enough for me. I'm I'm in. Like Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, terrible movie, but Nicolas Cage is in it, so I enjoyed yeah, it. If 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 you had Tom Cruise and Ghost Rider, it would have gone from kind of guilty, corny, bad pleasure to just unwatchable. Well, if you ever saw, it had the. Yeah. Have you guys ever? You guys probably haven't read the the Jack Reacher books. Have you heard of them? I've heard. Uh, of I know them. of them. Right? Them. Heard. The books are yeah. great. At least some of them are great. Um, and the first movie was okay, but then the second movie just. You could tell it was just supposed to rely on how how charismatic Tom Cruise is, but I isn't there but three I, actors portraying him now? It's like Tom Cruise, Chris Pine. Oh uh, yeah, Pine, because then, it's like five six uh, or something. I mean, you got to make him. I mean, that's not the only reason, but <laughs> you you can't you can't. I mean, you can't just you got to make him look taller than everybody else in the movie. So you need a you know a couple dozen actors to fill those shoes or stilts. One of the two. Um, but yeah, I, I that you should watch that movie. It's just, well, that's that's not a glowing recommendation. I was gonna say you should watch that movie. It's absolutely terrible. Um, Jack Reacher, the second one. The second one's really bad. Was Tom? Maybe I'm getting my franchises mixed up. What's the one that there's a TV show on now with a uh, what's his face from The Office? Oh, Tom. Uh, John Jack Christmas Ryan. Movie. Yeah, Jack right? Ryan. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I'm I'm totally. These are the most generic me. protagonist names ever. John which is Smith. Why this is happening? Yeah. Yeah, John Wick, Jack Reacher. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. But yeah, I just Tom Cruise right. doesn't do it for me. I don't know. He never really has. I don't know why. Like, but when I think of Tom Cruise, I always think of Rain Man because I me love too. Dustin that Hoffman, movie. Yeah, I love that yeah. movie. But 
Yeah, he he was just and like I don't think he did a bad job in the Mummy. He was just horribly miscast, and he was working with a pretty awful script, and it was exposition the movie and pointless female character the movie. And like I like how Stuckman said it, like we're past the the cardboard cutout woman in distress the entire movie who does nothing. And it came out right around the time Wonder Woman did. So it was like just horribly written characters and motivations. And um, so, so you're saying there, there's no no chance of a mummy retheme of the mummy ride at Universal anytime soon? I don't <laughs> think so. And I think they were hoping it would have. But I don't even other than switching out the mummy with a female mummy, which actually did, that was kind of a nice twist. Um, other than the fact that they showed the prologue like five times in the movie. It was it was a very bizarre viewing experience, but I do recommend it as a as a study, you know, as as you're watching it to be like, why doesn't that work? And you can be like, oh, I've seen movies where it does work, and why is that? You know, the, so I do legitimately recommend it for that purpose. I just have to stick Tom Cruise in the end, take out Brendan Fraser, and have Tom Cruise getting attacked, and uh, the transition Where's is complete. Where's my coffee? But you're of the weren't you saying that you think that almost kind of dates the ride a little bit having those moments or maybe oh yeah I, I really think that ride feels i love those movies too but the mummy returns particularly is not a movie that you watch it and it's of it's it's of its time for sure it's not a timeless classic in my opinion even though i do enjoy it so like having brendan fraser there is really weird to me I and mean, i still see it and i'm just like man brendan fraser it's too th- I, I don't yeah. know it doesn't work i mean I, I they definitely wanted to retheme it i was there last January, right after that movie came out or right around when it came out. And the whole gift shop was covered in the mummy mummy yeah. banners and stuff. Like you could tell they were just ch- they probably had it all filmed. Then they had to say, Hey Tom, yeah. we're not using your we're not using your clip. Sorry, man. He's like, okay, I still got my paycheck. But um yeah, but I do think it could have worked and maybe it can work because it did have you know like a, I don't I think the problem it was too many cooks in the kitchen because I think it had several riders and I think it was also putting the cart before the horse and not wor- focusing on a standalone good mummy movie, but being like, okay, this is the first of a universe and setting it up with that mindset of like, oh, this one doesn't have to be amazing. Um, but anyways, that's a whole other tangent. But um, I think it's probably, unless either of you guys have anything more to add, probably a good point to wrap up to keep this from going too much over two hours. Yeah, I think that's a... Good good time to stop it. Thanks for uh, joining us, Rob. Yeah, anytime. This was a lot of fun. Um, and anybody who wants to direct their hate mail towards me about my opinions on uh, Epcot or Hollywood Studios, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rob Plays. And then you're on YouTube as well. And... Uh, yeah, Rob Plays is also the name of the channel. I do uh, history videos every week, occasionally op-eds, stuff like that. And I always try to keep it like... They're like five-minute little uh, anecdotes about the the history of the Disney parks. Right, and random suggestion, but one of your videos that I really, really enjoyed because I knew so little about it was uh, you exploring the town of... I always get the celebration. celebration. Yeah. Yeah, so I highly recommend if anyone hasn't seen that, and even if you don't even know what that is, it's a fascinating story that it's just so... It's so bizarre. Like, what if Disney were to pretty much create its own little small i don't know suburbia i guess you'd call it another another eisner idea all right awesome well yeah thanks again for coming on thanks everyone for listening hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you next time on yesterworld